What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Smith. And as always, TMAP is brought to you by 444.com, where we have the best rankings, tools, and analysis in the business to help you win your leagues. If you sign up before August 15th, you'll be given a chance to win free entry into the FFPC's main event. Entry into the main event alone is a $1,900 value, and the eventual overall winner will score a grand prize of $500,000. All told, this tournament will dole out $3.1 million in prizes, so get subscribed at 444.com and get entered for your chance to win a free entry. Even if you don't win that ticket into the main event, you'll also have the opportunity to win a 444 shirt, as well as a signed NFL jersey from Deshaun Watson, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Allen Robinson, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, DK Metcalf, or Kenny Galladay. So if you're not already signed up and you want to take advantage of this huge opportunity, head over to 444.com, click that red subscribe button in the top right corner, and take your fantasy football game to the next level. The music on today's show is a song called May 16 by Lagwagon from their 1998 album, Let's Talk About Feelings. To hear the full song and all the other music from my episodes, check out the T-Map B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. Sammy Reed is going to join me today to run through some recent news and then begin my positional preview episodes with the quarterback position. He's won our Bay Area Roto Fantasies Superflex League, the Barf League we call it, with a bunch of other industry experts for two years running, so you're going to want to hear what he has to say about the QB position after he joins me in just a bit. Support for this show is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in below-the-belt grooming for men. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and they obsess over their technology development to provide the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TMAP. All right, with all that out of the way, let's now welcome Sammy Reed to the program. Follow him on Twitter at SammyReedFI. Subscribe and listen to his show, The Gilcast, and check out his work over at Roto Grinders. What's happening, Sammy? Welcome back to TMAP. Yo, what's up, Greg? Uh, it's it's great to be back. We've done this, I think, a couple years in a row now, and, and I love talking QBs with you because I think Superflex is starting to kind of take over the world, and we were talking about this as, as long as a couple years ago, and it's kind of happening, and I, I appreciate the intro with all the BARF championships, but you and I have had some great battles in that league, and you know, I, I feel like we we're kind of made for that format, and so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I know that you like to go deep on this stuff, and that's exactly why we're well-suited to it, right? It's like the format that asks you to pay attention to literally every single position. I mean, tight ends uh, to a lesser extent, but that's okay, because there are only like four tight ends that matter, right? <laughs> yeah, but you don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> it's a There's problem. Like two you draft at the top, and then two at the end of the draft, you end up smashing. So we are going to get to the quarterback position in a in a pretty big deep dive later on. But before that, let's run through some news uh, that's happening in the NFL and the list of players going on the reserve COVID nineteen list and the players opting out for the twenty twenty season. It's continuing to grow. We're still tracking it over at 444.com, so check out the link in the show notes or just head over to the site. It's front and center, the list of these players who are either questionable for the start of the year because of the virus or just opting out altogether on their own accord. Um, Alex Gelhar and I discussed Keyshawn Vaughn on last week's episode as one of the key guys to land on that reserve COVID-19 list. Sammy, are there any other names from either that list or the opt-out guys that you think is going to have a significant impact on how you evaluate them? or their teammates for fantasy in 2020? Yeah, I mean, the the Damian Williams news is, is obvious. That's the big one. Yeah. Um, but we really haven't seen a lot of key offensive players opt out. 
we saw Alan Hearns, I think, uh, just today opt out, which I think makes things possibly a little clearer for that receiving core, uh, particularly Preston Williams, who impressed before he got hurt last season. But I think it's really interesting. We're seeing a lot of key defensive players opt out, uh, especially several guys from the Pats, Hightower and Chung, uh, the Bill Star. <laughs> you know I'm going to mess up his name, Latule and EJ Gaines, I think are big hits to their defense. And potentially, I don't I don't want to like overrate this stuff, but potentially that makes their defense a little less potent and means that their offense may have to throw a little more, which is, you know, a, a good thing if you're invested in, you know, say a Josh Allen, something like that. Yeah, and we might be getting to him later, and I, I might have had some schedule-centric analysis on him that's that's not looking quite as good based upon what you just said. But let, let's dig into the Chiefs situation. This is something we have to touch on. With Damian Williams opting out, how high are you going on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I think I put him at RB6 in my running back rankings, and I wondered if I should have put him higher or if I'm too high. Like It's it's kind of a shaky situation after those key top three or four guys are ranked, um, but what are you doing with the Chiefs' presumed number one running back now uh, in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Yeah, it's it's pretty hard to keep him out of that group of those like late first-rounders that all have warts, right? A guy like Derrick Henry, who gets the ball a lot, a lot of goal line carries, doesn't exactly get a lot of uh, work through the air. Guys like Miles Sanders, who everyone is presuming will have a bell cow role. He's being drafted as such, but I don't think we can just 100% say with confidence that it's for sure happening. And I think uh, Edwards Hilaire is kind of in that group right there. So I, I have him right behind Miles Sanders. Okay, yeah. See, I would put him ahead of Sanders just for the offense that he plays in. And maybe I'm not attributing enough to the idea that the Chiefs are going to spread it around more, whereas Miles Sanders might just have a more concentrated role in that offense. But I just see the upside with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback and all those receiving weapons taking attention away from the running game. Not to mention Clyde Edwards-Lair as a pass catcher himself. I am a little wary of the running back by committee tendencies that Andy Reid has shown in the past. How much is that a concern for you? A little bit. I mean, I, I think a guy that I've been targeting late in a lot of my drafts is DeAndre Washington. Yeah. You know, I, I think the kid's talented and you just never know what they're going to do out there. Um, I, I First off, we need a good nickname for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. You know <laughs> what I mean? Something that we can just kind of say quickly because C-E-H doesn't really roll off the tongue. No. So that's something we're going to have to come up with at some point this season. But, yeah, it worries me a little. At the same time, I think that he is a guy who can absolutely succeed without being a bell cow. Like, he can be a first-rounder. He can be an Alvin Kamara type of player where he's not getting 80 or 90% of the touches and snaps but is still you know, a top-five running back simply because of the way that offense operates and the amount of work he rates to get through the air. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things we really have to figure out now, it's easy to say, okay, Clyde Edwards-Flair becomes a lot more valuable, right? We've touched on that. But who's the backup there now? Like, who's the handcuff to own? Is it Washington? Is it Darwin Thompson? Is it Daryl Williams? And I think if you can figure that out, and or maybe just spread out your exposure to those three guys across your different leagues, you might end up with, with a really solid value considering how late all those guys are going to. One other name that stood out to me, also a running back, was Reichwell Armstead. And I don't want to read too much into this because we're already seeing guys that went on to the COVID list come off the COVID list, including Armstead's teammate, Gardner Minshew. He's already been cleared to return to practice and whatnot. But what this did for me with Armstead was perhaps 
give the idea that Leonard Fournette's job might be a little bit more secure than we expected at this point in the offseason. They've made it pretty clear that, you know, Fournette's not in the long-term plans of the franchise there in Jacksonville. But if there is enough attrition behind him on the depth chart, they might not have any other excuse but to but to run Fournette into the ground yet again, right? Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, the Jags kind of suck. And, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think they lose anything by just running Fournette out there. And I completely agree. Fournette's a guy who has really relied on a lot of volume to make his bread the last couple seasons. And if he's going to get that volume again, you know, you can call him fat, you can call him slow, you can call him useless in DFS, as I often have when I rostered him. <laughs> but, if, dude, if he's getting 20-plus touches a day, uh, there's not many there's there's not many running backs who are doing that these days. Yeah, the question is, is how much receiving work is he going to carry over from last year? Because that was the big boon to his value in 2019. But with Chris Thompson right. joining the team... If Chris Thompson can stay healthy, you know, knock on every piece of wood in your house, then maybe that means Fournette's just going back to being like another Jordan Howard type where all he does is carry the ball. But, you know, I I just don't necessarily see them going that extreme with it on top of the fact that, again, Thompson is a huge injury risk. So I I don't know. I'm wondering if Fournette might, if the hate might have gone a little bit too far on him. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I I, I think he's burned a lot of us. You know, you can hear the scorn in my voice. I've lost the money on him in DFS. But um, I think that passing down work is just so key. And, you know, Thompson, I mean, obviously that's his his specialty. So I I do see him cutting into Fournette's workload a little bit in that regard. But certainly having, you know, another workhorse-esque back that's, that's not in the mix, I think, helps Fournette out quite a bit. Let's keep the running back talk going with Sony Michelle. He's been placed on active pup as he recovers from May foot surgery. Are, are you reacting to this? And if so, how, how are you trying to leverage it in fantasy? Should drafters be buying into James White, Damian Harris, Rex Burkhead, some combination of those guys? Or should maybe we default to Cam Newton as the goal line back, buying him and perhaps some of his receiving weapons, noting, like, as you said, that their defense has gotten worse in New England. The Bills defense is going to be a little bit worse. Like, What do you think about Sony Michelle's kind of sketchy outlook to start the season? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I, and I was so afraid that you were going to talk to me about this because <laughs> Sorry, I mean, buddy. literally every every time I try to break you over the coals here. Yeah. What's going to happen with the Pats running backs? It just like doesn't doesn't work out at all. How I was thinking, I do kind of feel like James White is James White. They kind of don't want him out there besides being a pass catcher. Uh, We saw it for a stretch of a couple games like a year or two back, but they were really on hurt uh, at the position at that time. Um, So I think it really falls onto Damian Harris and Rex Burkhead, depending on how serious this injury is. And I would have liked to see a whole lot more than, you know, whatever the four carries that Damian Harris got last year. You know, at the end of the day, I think they trust Burkhead a lot. They've shown that they're willing to get him into the game and, have him work in a really versatile manner. And the way that Belichick works, he likes backs where you can't just tell what they're doing. You know that if James White is out there, it's almost certainly a pass. And you know that if Michelle's out there, it's almost certainly a run. Burkhead allows them a little bit of versatility in that regard. Um, And so I think they like him like that. Certainly Damian Harris is is worth a late round flyer because he's the guy that that kind of aligns most closely with Michelle's skill set. And they drafted him, you know, what, in the, I think the third round last year. So they, they spent some equity on him. But at the end of the day, I think Burkhead is just a guy who always gets hate in the draft and always just goes super late and always ends up producing, at least in a couple games throughout the season. He's probably the guy that, that I'm going to end up with the most shares of, honestly. I agree with that point you made about James White. We know who he is. And that's 
a negative in one regard, right? But it's also a bit of a positive in that we kind of know what to expect, what sort of production he's going to give us. And if he slides far enough in PPR leagues, he becomes a really safe guy to draft and just use as like a not a, not a classic zero RB guy because he doesn't really have that upside to become an RB1, but just as a cheap running back who you know is going to give you points in a PPR league. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's he's one of the he's one of the old favorites and he's another guy that nobody ever wants to draft him because his upside is limited, but at the end of the day, you're always there in week 5 like, dude, I wish I had a usable running back. I really wish I had James White who could give me 9 points, you know? That boring production has value to me in certain contexts and if you add in the fact that Rex Burkhead has never been a picture of health, that Damian Harris has been pretty disappointing to this point in his very short career, I could see White being just as involved as he ever is, especially if Michelle is also shaky. So I think you're right, though. that the Burkhead is the one who's the most intriguing because he offers that dual threat ability. I just don't know if I trust him to put it together in a way that matters in fantasy, you know, week to week. Now, in best ball, yeah, I'll, I'll be drafting him a fair amount, especially because he's so cheap and he fits that mold of a guy who not only can catch passes, but can also be used around the goal line. But there, I think there is some concern with Cam Newton, again, being the, the goal line back in certain situations that kind of makes, as you alluded to at the very beginning of this conversation, the whole situation a mess, and it's really difficult to sort through. So let's just move on. Let's get to Jarvis Landry next. He was also placed on active pup as he recovers from February hip surgery. Let's say that Landry misses a few games. Would that be a good or a bad thing in your mind for Odo Buckham Jr.'s outlook? So in general, I would think this situation is overall a bad thing because I, I just think it's a positive thing for all the players, the better an offense is. And the better players that they have available, the better the offense is. Even if your target share is a little bit lower, you see higher value targets because the offense is moving and scoring a lot. In this particular situation, I think that the Browns have so much offensive talent that losing Landry is a little bit positive for Beckham. Uh, Beckham's always been a guy who, you know, you could count on for like 150 plus targets in a full season, uh, especially back when he was with the Giants. And you were kind of yearning for those days again. So I think that they filter a lot of the offense through him in that spot. But I also think what it means is that you'd see the team run a lot more two tight end sets. And I heard Warren Sharp talk about this on Davis Maddox take cast earlier this week. And it's a really good point. You know, they have Hooper now and they have Njoku. And I think if Landry ends up missing some time, they will really get into that, that 21 personnel. And I think it could mean good things for like late round Njoku's particularly. I, I don't think it really changes where you draft Beckham. But those late tight ends who, who could potentially see more time on the field, I think it means something for them. Yeah, I agree with that. I think in general, it actually might be a good thing for Beckham, if only because I expect Cleveland to be running the ball a lot. And a if, lot. if Landry isn't in there, that means that the targets, the limited targets that Mayfield is throwing are going to be a little bit more concentrated on Beckham, kind of force fed more so than when Landry's out there. Now, with that said, the coverage on Beckham would be much worse. And that kind of goes back to that original point you made that, Typically, you kind of want everybody on an offense to be healthy so that the team can be unpredictable, so that all the players can be involved and targeted in open spaces on the field. But I agree that in this case, it's, it might be a slight bump for Odell Beckham Jr. in the short term. And who knows, maybe when Landry comes back, it'll just become that much more explosive and Beckham will have you know those sea legs under him after you know not really having it over the past couple seasons to the point where he can really take off. I think that he's an interesting player and a guy who I was drafting a lot 
early on in best balls and whatnot. And I haven't been getting him as much lately, I think, because people are starting to remember those times that Beckham had with the Giants, remember that talent that he has, and start to push him back up their draft boards for that reason alone. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's it's just those guys like Odell Beckham and Juju who are like still relatively young and have shown elite, elite skills and are now dropping to like the third, fourth round. You're like, dude, if if there's a bounce back season here, that's just insta profit. So those are those are guys I've been targeting a lot in those spots. Yeah, those are always interesting guys to go after. You basically look at ADP from last year or two years ago. You figure out who's going much later than that. And if you can't come up with a very good reason why, you can be like, well, maybe I should consider drafting this player. And I think that applies to all fantasy sports, not just football. Another guy like that, T.Y. Hilton, placed on the active NFI list. Apparently, he has a mild hamstring injury per the Colts' Twitter feed. This is something that he sustained outside of football you know, camp or whatever. And so this raises the question, are you a Paris Campbell guy? Or are you a Michael Pittman Jr. guy? Or you can feel free to go off the board with somebody else from that offense. No, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, generally, I think Pittman is a, is a really talented player. And long term, I think I like him. And I don't mean to create too much narrative, but I feel like in these COVID times where training camp is weird and limited and, you know, the preseason games are just like completely blown up. I think that rookie receivers and quarterbacks are going to have a rough go. I, I generally don't care about this sort of thing with running backs. I think their position is pretty easy. It's an easier transition. Yeah. But generally, I'm just, you know, rookies at the wide receiver position this year, I'm just not really all about it. I know Campbell didn't play a ton last year, but, you know, he was around all year. He knows the offense a little bit better, and I just feel like he's probably a little better situated to come in and make an immediate impact. Yeah, you took the words right out of my show notes. So let, let me ask you this. Who is the one rookie receiver that you're most confident can buck that trend and perhaps deliver on the upside that we know he has, despite the fact that he's had limited time to prepare for the season with, with COVID and everything else considered? Good question. I, I'd say probably Jalen Rager. Um, I think the opportunity uh, could certainly be there, the way the Eagles receiving corpse has kind of uh, gotten decimated, particularly with Alshon Jeffrey and the lack of like reliable weapons behind there. And then also they they run a lot of like collegiate stuff, right? Sure. And and so I think that transition just in general will be the easiest. So I would say Rager. Yeah, and I think that he has the least amount of competition with Al- Alshon Jeffrey still trying to come back. Deshaun Jackson always a health question mark. I think you could also make the case for CeeDee Lamb just based on the fact that we know he's a polished player. Yeah, he's like he's like the best receiver probably, yeah. <laughs> right, that offense just could be so good that if other teams aren't respecting Lamb and they're you know focusing their coverage on Cooper and on Gallup and on stopping Ezekiel Elliott in the running game, Lamb could just feast. And the dark horse for me is Denzel Mims. I know that he's more of a raw player, and this is probably what makes him a sketchier bet to, to be this type of player. But I just look at that receiving group with the Jets – and Jamison Crowder has an established rapport with Darnold after last season. But beyond that, who is it? Like Rashad Perriman's new to the team this year as well. Chris Herndon didn't really yep. play last year. We know that Mims is talented. So I could see him kind of delivering on that upside. Maybe not right in the beginning of the year, but later in the year after he's had some time to adjust. Yeah, I, I like that call. And and the good thing for Lamb particularly, I think you alluded to this, is that the kid ain't going to be seeing no double coverage. You know what I mean? Yep. I'm just I'm a little concerned about how much he sees the field. Um, he'll see the field, uh, but I, I think he's got the most easily the most upside of any 
of any of the new receivers for sure. Yeah, that's a great point because you know they're going to want to run the tight end out there, Jarwin, uh, not only as right. a potential pass catcher himself, but to help block in the running game. So it'll be interesting to see how much three wide they run. I'm pretty fascinated to see how that offense looks because the expectations are sky high. If they don't deliver on that in the first few weeks of the season, it's going to be just anarchy in Cowboys land, you know? It'll be a bloodbath, yeah. All right, before we get to our quarterback preview, let's talk about the sponsor of this show, Manscaped.com. And I don't know about you, Sammy, or the listeners, but I grow hair like it's my job. Admittedly, not as much as taking place on the top of my head anymore. There's still some up there. Uh, but in general, keeping up with this stuff is a chore. To keep my beard in check and you know, throw in the rest of the hair in my body, it can feel like a full-time job. And unfortunately, it has led me to get a little impatient and overzealous in the trimming process at times. And that has led to some trimmer horror stories downstairs. I can tell you from experience that there isn't much worse than nicking, slicing, or pinching that sensitive skin on your field general or his lineman with the subpar grooming device. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. And one of the coolest features is an LED light which illuminates the grooming area for a closer and more precise trimming. It's like when you're sh- trimming your beard in the mirror, like the light's right there. If you're trying to trim downstairs, it's a little more challenging, right? The LED light helps with that. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show off your mower loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk off of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com with the promo code TMAP, T-M-A-P, for a 20% discount and free shipping. So order today. Your nether regions and your partner will thank you. All right, Sammy, quarterback deep dive time. Let's start off just with the hottest of takes. I mean, they don't actually have to be that hot. I'm just going to ask some questions about which guys you think are most overvalued and undervalued. Let's start with overvalued at the quarterback position. Who you got? All right. Well, first off, I'm writing down that promo code. That uh, that that read that you gave actually hit me very personally. <laughs> it's so. the worst, man. <laughs> you, have, you, have, you have a customer already. <laughs> um, most overvalued quarterback. Uh, I thought of saying Carson Wentz because of the aforementioned issues that he has uh, with his pass catching options. Uh, but they still have those two tight ends, which I really like. So the guy I think I'm going to go with is actually Tom Brady. Okay. And Brady, I he's got great weapons, right? But he doesn't run at all. And there's so many question marks surrounding him. Is he too old? Can he thrive outside of Belichick offense? Can he get the ball deep to Evans? Is Gronkowski still a viable option? This is a guy who had five rushing touchdowns over the last two years. Will he chip in a couple of quarterback sneaks anymore? All these are really up in the air, and the guy's like 82 years old. I'm scared of that situation, and I'm not drafting him as high as a, as a lot of people are. I think it's easy to say Hall of Famer, good weapons, it's lit, uh, but I have some this season. I can see it, but I can't get away from it, mostly based upon like scoring settings, right? Like I've ended up kind of randomly in a lot of best balls and other leagues that have 
a lower threshold for scoring points through yardage and passing touchdowns, like six points per passing touchdown, 20 yards per passing yardage point. And if you look at, you know, just basic projections for Tom Brady in those formats, he still looks really good. And it makes sense when you look at his receivers, right? That's why I'm still willing to draft him. And I've actually been ending up with him a fair amount, but it's honestly more just because I like to wait. (laughs) This this is why you were like silent for like the second and a half after I said this, you're like, how do I put this delicately? Tom Brady's going to smash. Sammy, you're wrong about this. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't think he's going to smash. But it's just one of those things where, again, if I look at the projections relative to where he goes compared to other quarterbacks, when I'm ready to draft a guy, in, and we'll get to more on this in a bit, I'm usually looking in that, say, QB 10 to QB 15 range, typically. And nobody wants to draft Brady necessarily because of all the downside that you've explained here. To the point where he's actually become affordable in spite of, you know, the legacy. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. And I think that it'll be really interesting um, depending on the format that you play in, right? Because he is going to have some really good spots on the schedule, particularly like those Atlanta and, and, uh, you know, Carolina games, um, I think are just going to be potentially pretty great. But I also want to acknowledge the downside. And so I think the format that you're playing in certainly... uh, has a lot to do with what's going to go on. Yep, for sure. Now, for me, I'm going to go with Josh Allen. I've made this case on the podcast before, but the rushing floor is nice. I admit that. The addition of Stephon Diggs helps, but how much will it help? We know that Allen is an inaccurate passer, and we know that inaccuracy isn't really something that quarterbacks grow out of very much over time. So I think expecting yet another leap for Josh Allen in year three, just because Buffalo added a weapon that Allen may or may not be able to hit, seems a little bit risky to me. I I admit that he's usable in fantasy. Don't get me wrong. I have Josh Allen ranked as my QB 12 for what it's worth, but I think he's due for some rushing touchdown regression. You mentioned this with Brady. Josh Allen over the past two years has scored eight and nine rushing TDs. And that sort of scoring on the ground is tough, tough to sustain for a running back, let alone a quarterback. So if you scale Allen back to only four or five rushing scores, I think a ranking closer to QB 10 or QB 12 makes more sense to me than Allen's QB7 ADP. You factor in Buffalo's schedule, which projects as the third toughest among quarterbacks by 4-for-4's adjusted fantasy points against, and I just can't stomach drafting Allen at his cost ahead of guys with softer schedules and more proven track records, like Matt Ryan, like Cam Newton, and I'll throw Carson Wentz in there too. I actually actually like him this year. I know you mentioned him as a potential fade, but what do you think about Josh Allen? Are you in or or out? So he's. I actually do have plenty of thoughts on this. You, you mentioned the rushing floor, and we like that. But I would certainly uh, echo the fact that those rushing touchdowns, they are big, big variants year to year. Yes. And you can't just count on that. And he's also just – we talked about this obscene inaccuracy he has. Stefan Diggs is a money receiver. He's also like one of the most sick and precise route runners in the entire NFL. Does that jive with Josh Allen? Is he able to hit guys out of breaks? Obviously, creating separation is a good thing. Uh, that, that'll help Allen. But I'm not 100% sold that these two guys are a match made in heaven. And, uh, yeah, I have some misgivings about it as well. Yeah, I mean, I think he's fine. Like I said, I think he's usable. I just think the QB7 price tag is a little bit rich for my blood. One other player that I kind of want to throw out here as an honorable mention is Aaron Rodgers. He's at QB12 and ADP. And just like you had with Brady, in Rodgers' case, the, the long-term track record is there. He's one of the greatest to ever play the quarterback position. We all get that. 
but with Rodgers, his recent track record specific to fantasy is actually a little alarming. He hasn't posted more than six top 10 weekly finishes in a season since his quarterback won campaign all the way back in 2016. Meanwhile, the elite producers at the QB position since then have been putting up seven to 12 top 10 weeks in each season. To me, this shows that Rodgers has gone from being great to just pretty good. And unfortunately for his fantasy stock, that puts him in line with a lot of other passers, right? So while I have him ranked as my QB 13, just one spot behind his ADP, I'm just not willing to draft him or or really any quarterback in that spot because the difference between QB 12 or QB 13 and say QB 20 or QB 21 just isn't that drastic. I'd rather wait and take a shot on a potential up and comer or a quarterback in a better situation than Rodgers, like Brady, who's, you know, Brady has the weapons. Rodgers does not. He's got Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and like a bunch of extras from the set of any given Sunday. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely like uh, Brady better than Rodgers. I agree with you. I mean, Rodgers, Rodgers hasn't been elite for a couple of seasons, and we saw the cracks in some of his metrics a couple of years ago, but he was still... They were still throwing so much at the goal line that it kind of uh, obscured the fact that his actual, like, you know, just, just efficiency was going down. Uh, but now that, you know, they've just they haven't replenished their wide receiver core at all. And, you know, they really haven't added any difference makers to that offense. The cracks are showing and I think they're pretty apparent. Who is 2020's most undervalued quarterback, Sammy? Uh, so it's really between two guys for me. And I'd say number one. Uh, was the first guy who came to my mind, and that's Ben Roethlisberger. On my list. Awesome. I mean, yes, he's 38 years old and coming off a season-ending uh, elbow injury on his throwing arm. That is sketch. But, A, he's cheap, very cheap. And, B, you know, the last time we saw him two years ago, he was throwing for 5,100 yards and 34 touchdowns. He's got great weapons with Juju and Deontay Johnson, a great new t- touchdown target in Eric Ebron, a strong offensive line. Depending on what site you look at, uh, he's currently the 16th quarterback off the board going in double-digit rounds. And I just think with the upside that he possesses, I mean, he's got QB1, not QB1 overall, but like strong QB1 uh, just just starting uh, potential. Like if he stays healthy, I think he's almost a shoo-in for that. I think it's an amazing value where, where he's going right now. Yeah, I totally agree. And the risk in a one-quarterback format really isn't that high because if he gets hurt again or whatever – no big deal. You go pick up somebody else. The weapons yeah. there, man, with with everything yeah. that's lining up for him that you mentioned, it's worth taking that shot if you're going to wait to draft a quarterback late. I'm going to run through a few more attainable quarterbacks like that that I think are undervalued, and then I'm going to make the case for another guy that's a, a little silly, to be, to be honest. But uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, just hoping for uh-huh. regression on defense for San Francisco, leading to more shootouts, plus the Kyle Shanahan bump, year three. In, in, in spite of a hobbled Debo Samuel. I don't know if that's going to be a huge deal for the Niners, but it could be. I'm going to bet that it's not and that Debo will eventually be back. Um, Ryan Tannehill, I just think the regression police have overstepped their jurisdiction, dropping Tannehill out of ADP's top 20. He's still going to be relatively efficient based upon the running game they have there. And we know he has some rushing upside on, on his own. I think Tannehill is... You know, he, should, he shouldn't be valued like he finished last season, but he probably shouldn't be outside of the top 20 at the quarterback position either. And then real deep dive for the two QB guys, Dwayne Haskins. Alex Smith's potential return notwithstanding, Haskins seemed to be, seems to be locked into a starting gig, and he's ridiculously cheap to draft. If he can hold that job all year, even if he's not great, he should be usable enough 
to where you can spot start him and he acts as a you know insurance for your QB1 and your QB2. Like the cost just is so cheap that I think that he's interesting. Uh, you have any thoughts on Garoppolo, Tannehill, or Haskins? Of them, I like uh, Tannehill the best. I, I haven't drafted a lot of AJ Brown uh, just because his you know his where he's going compared to his targets you know kind of scares me. But let me just tell you that dude that dude's a grown man, and for a quarterback to have somebody like that, I think is really tremendous. And and that makes me like Tannehill, and he also rushes. Uh, Haskins is a guy I've also been targeting late as like a QB three um, in super flexes, so I'm on that. Uh, I would also throw out in a somewhat similar vein, uh, Tyrod Taylor. I think Tyrod sure. Taylor is going to play a little more than people think. Um, again, like I wouldn't want him as a starter per se, but like if you're missing out on those solid starters for your QB three in super flex leagues, I'm more than fine with Tyrod Taylor. Like I, I'm not sure like if he'll get benched this season. He certainly could, but like I wouldn't just like say that's for sure. I would also say the other guy that. I've been getting a lot of Greg is uh, Cam Newton. Oh, yeah. and I'm uh, I'm just I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Cam. Oh, I'm all in on Cam. I've been drafting him like crazy. I took him in Scott awesome. Fishbowl. I have him ranked, I think, as my QB 11, and I worry that I'm just much too low. Like I was tempted to put him at like QB seven or QB eight in my rankings because we've seen him do it yeah. before. He's going into what could not necessarily be the best situation ever, but potentially a much better situation that he's ever had just based upon the coaching infrastructure, the offensive line there. I think that things are set up really well for him to bounce back despite not really playing last year. I'm with you on Cam Newton, and I've just talked about him too much. That's why he didn't really make uh, my choice here, but I think that's a great pick. Okay, awesome, because I'm a little bit out of touch with like how people are reevaluating him because you know you look at like the uh, NFFC. I was looking at like the Raz Bowl. Uh, just the ADP from there, and he was going on average as a QB twenty. I just like I, uh, I I swung in the Raz Bowl in the thirteenth and fourteenth, Roethlisberger and Cam Newton, and I was like, dude, Cam Newton in the fourteenth, like, am, am I tripping? Is that really good? I think that's good. No, I think I think you and I are the outliers because it was the same thing in the Scott Fishbowl. I think he was the QB twenty two there, but while yeah. in the Fishbowl, I think you can make a better case for him based upon the rushing first down potential that he offers. Razbull, I think he does take yep. a hit because that's six point per passing touchdown and it's 20 yards per per point passing. So right. the, the format right. there dictates that Newton probably shouldn't be valued as highly. But in most formats, like traditional formats, where you only get four per passing touchdown and it's 25 yards per point passing, I mean, smash Cam Newton at his ADP every time. And, and, I, and I'm reaching for him in those formats too. I, I got him in the Scott Fishbowl too, man. So yeah. let's let's go all aboard the Cam Newton train. I mean, dude, if Tom Brady can rush for like five touchdowns in two years, imagine what Cam Newton's going to do. Like, he has never had an offensive mind like this behind him. I know that their weapons are, are pretty sketch, but like, has that ever stopped Cam Newton? It hasn't before. before Absolutely no. not. He's another guy like Ben that all you're doing is banking on his health. Like, if he plays, I think he produces. There, there's just almost no way he doesn't IMO. So uh, I'm, I'm big on those guys. So I've brought this up on the show before because these guys are compared a lot. Cam Newton, Josh Allen. Who would you rather draft? Um, gosh, it's really it's really close. Um, and I know ADP would like hate me for this, but I think I'm on board with Cam Newton. Yeah, I have Cam at QB 11. I have Allen at QB 12. I, I do think they're very similar. I, I just trust him more. I think he's a better player. Yeah, I agree. I want to backtrack a little bit to what you were saying about Tyrod Taylor. And this is something that 
of my early off-season takes back, you know, when we believed that COVID-19 was going to be figured out eventually. Turns out, you know, America just can't figure anything out with regards to this virus. Uh, I, I, I figured, you know, these these rookies would eventually get some camp time. They would be able to get up to speed. Justin Herbert would be ready to take over for Tyrod Taylor, you know, by week four, five, six, something like that. But I might have to start walking that sort of rookie QB optimism back and investing more into the veteran guys like Tyrod Taylor, like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, I think that there's more risk with those rookie quarterbacks, as you mentioned earlier, than there has ever been in previous seasons. So th- that was a really good point. I teased this earlier, but let's get to my kind of ridiculous take for most undervalued quarterback in 2020. Is it stupid if I think it might be Kyler Murray, despite his QB6 slot in ADP? Oh, God. We're going to say Taysom Hill. I'm so happy that it was Kyler Murray. <laughs> um, no, I... I'm a huge Kyler Murray fan, um, huge, huge, huge Kyler Murray fan. I feel like if there is a guy who could go, you know, Lamar Jackson on the league this year, it's him. Yeah, I mean, I just think that expecting the second-year leap from p- promising young quarterbacks, it, it has become the thing to do, right, in recent years. And I think we need to be careful with that and those sorts of expectations because we saw what happened to Sam Darnold last year, his experience with Mono. And I think that should be teach us to mm-hmm. be wary of a- any player, like young player in the age of COVID-19, with that said, though, I just see the stars aligning for Kyler Murray in year two. The Cardinals dumping David Johnson in their trade for DeAndre Hopkins had a huge impact across the board, right? Murray now gets to throw to one of the NFL's best wideouts in Hopkins. Hopkins should pull a ton of defensive attention, which could free up Christian Kirk for his own year three breakout and help elevate some of the other young receivers on the Cardinals. And David Johnson shipping out clears the way for a fresher and honestly better Kenyon Drake to help Murray out of the backfield. If Murray has his game more figured out in 2020, something that he's alluded to when reflecting on his rookie year, and if Cliff Kingsbury gets to play with more of the pace that we expected from him last season in his coaching debut, then I think we could see spikes in both volume and efficiency for Murray on top of the rushing floor he was already going to provide. So all those factors coalesce for me into thinking that Murray could easily beat his QB6 ADP and finish as the QB3 or the QB4 and if I'm waiting till the end of that tier and he's the guy who's left and I can get him at QB6, I'm very tempted by that. And I don't necessarily think it's fair to call him the most undervalued guy, but I think he's potentially undervalued if he slides that far relative to the other quarterbacks in his tier. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I'm very on board with this take. I mean, you know, I feel like Lamar Jackson ruined things a little bit for us last year because he was, you know, one of the best values that fantasy football has ever seen. And people, people, I think I'm not the first one to make the association that Murray could be Lamar Jackson. Certainly a little different, but but that kind of leap, you know, from interesting player to like fantasy dominator. And I think it's reflected in Murray's price where the, the consensus is high on Murray. But if you can get a guy who has legitimate QB1 upside, um, you know, at QB4, especially in super flex kind of leagues, it's it's a big thing. And yeah, we need to be careful with with the second year breakout assumption, but a lot of these second year guys uh, didn't just add DeAndre Hopkins. Right. And, but I think the, the rub is that you have to factor in the other guys in that tier because they all have that argument to be, you know, a top three quarterback, whether it's Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, or Dak Prescott based upon the offense there in Dallas. Yeah. You, you kind of have to either pick your spot and really plant your flag on one of those guys, or you just have to wait to be the guy who drafts the QB five or the QB six. Right. 
Yeah, and and I think we kind of approach things very much the same. At least that's what I've seen in the leagues we've been in together, where we're generally not, even in super flex leagues, we're generally not the first one to jump on a quarterback. We want the next big thing, not the thing that was really big last year. For sure. Now let's talk about some quarterbacks who are tougher to evaluate. We've we've made some claims about undervalued, overvalued. Who's the toughest quarterback for you to evaluate this season? So it, it was actually Josh Allen uh, was the guy I put down. So fair. Yeah. So those those were my thoughts. And, you know, I, I tend to be a little more pessimistic about Josh Allen, but he's just such a high variance player. Like it's easy for me to evaluate what kind of player he is. Like he runs around a lot and makes some big plays and does a lot of stupid stuff like that's who we thought he was going to be. And that's indeed who he is. But his range of outcomes is just so, so, so wide just from like a theory perspective that it's hard to like evaluate where he fits in in the QB mix. Um, another guy that I would throw out there uh, that's that we don't have a ton of quote unquote tape on yet would be Daniel Jones. I'm not sure how good his weapons are. Are Darius Slayton, is he good? Um, I'm not quite sure. Is is uh, Daniel Jones good? I'm not quite sure. He had some monster games last year. Like, is Sterling Shepard good? I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, I, I'm really perplexed by that situation. I know that Jones had some monster games last year, and that's kind of fueling him where he is in ADP, but I literally have no read on like how I should be evaluating Daniel Jones. Yeah, you could make the case that he is the Blake Bortles that just because he's playing from behind all the time puts up huge weeks and ends up finishing as a top 10 guy. Or you can make the case that he's the Blake Bortles who just completely submarines himself and ends up being completely unusable three weeks into the season. Right. A couple of guys I want to throw out here. Uh, Kirk Cousins, because I think he's good. He's posted six yep. or seven top 10 weeks in every season since 2015. You're not really going to find that level of consistency from many guys. And he's done it a lot of the times on offenses that weren't super pass heavy. But can we trust his weapons? Can we trust Adam Thielen to stay healthy? Can we trust his other options there to step up after Stephon Diggs has been shipped out? How much will he throw? I just don't know the answers to these questions. What's your read on Cousins in Minnesota? Yeah, I'm, I'm generally, I really liked it when he had Diggs and Thielen. And now that he only has Thielen, I don't love the situation. I mean, obviously, I think Irv Smith needs to step up for that team, you know, because Rudolph is just like a dusty plotter at this point. But I really don't love the the weapons that he has. And, and also the team strives to be a running and defense team. So I'm a little concerned about the volume as well. Um, I think it's reflected in his ADP. Uh, I, I don't think the field. Yeah, the field in general doesn't love Cousins. But I feel like. I would probably rather have Phil Rivers, who's kind of a similar in a similar spot. I just I just tend to and and that depends a lot on T.Y. Hilton, uh, I think. But if there's no T.Y. Hilton, I don't love Rivers either. I don't love him either anyway. But I think his weapons are, are kind of better than Cousins's are. Yeah, he was the next guy I was going to ask you about. So go figure. I mean, it's the same situation, right? How much is Rivers going to throw? Is and, and unlike Cousins, who, who I still think is a quality player and, and not necessarily out of his prime or, or you know usable time as a starting quarterback, is Rivers just toast or washed or dust or whatever the kids are saying these days? Like, I, based upon what we saw last year, I think that's possible, right? Yeah, I, I think that washed is uh, is still in vogue now, so we can use that. Um, you know, I mean, the, the reality is, is Rivers will always like leave you feeling disappointed. That's just kind of <laughs> what he does. But he's just so cheap right now. And the truth is, he gets a lot of hate. He gets more hate than he deserves because he's yes. like, you know, fiery and complainy and easily jiffable and like all these things. But 
I do like the fact that this team has good weapons. They have a really, really good offensive line. I think that's key for Rivers because he can't move. Obviously, this depends on Hilton because I think Hilton's like a legitimate target. But I think that offense is going to be able to move the ball and score a lot of points. Uh, again, assuming Hilton's all right, just with you know Mac and Taylor back there and Pittman and Campbell. And I know Doyle's no great shakes, but I feel like they don't have like a huge talent hole on offense. Like they're solid everywhere. And that's kind of what Rivers is. And I think he's that guy that, you know, if you miss out on on a lot of your targets and end up with him as like your QB2 or you know, your QB3 backup, I think that's totally fine. Yeah, good stuff. I think that they're uh, it's a very interesting comparison, right? Because like I said, I think Cousins is the better player, but I agree with you that the Rivers situation is better. He just might not have it anymore. And it's a really interesting inflection point. And typically I, I am the type of person who will slant towards the talent or what I perceive yeah. to be the talent. And that's not to say Rivers Fair. isn't talented. I'm just not sure he has the same amount of juice left, uh, you know, in him that Kirk Cousins does. But Oh, no, the, the guy's throwing 78 mile an hour fastballs <laughs> these days. I mean, for sure. All right, man, we've talked enough about some specific players. Let's get into some more general draft strategy. And I'm wondering where the typical price point is for you in a one quarterback league where you start to consider drafting your quarterbacks. Quite like a lot of industry folks in, in one QB leagues, I tend to just try to wait as long as I can. And, you know, certainly I, I'm not the dude who's drafting, you know, Jackson or Mahomes in the second or third round. If there's quarterbacks that I really, really like that are still around, like round seven or eight, I might jump in there. But, dude, I try to wait generally till the double digit rounds. And, and this year in a lot of my one QB leagues, I'm fine, like, waiting way late and just getting a stable of, like, you know, a rotation of, of guys like Ben and Cam and Goff, you know, maybe Rivers. Like, ju- just those kind of guys who I don't necessarily feel confident starting them every single week, but, you know, that that you can just stream and sub in for the other guy, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I do not need to jump in very early. So, one QB leagues, I, I tend to wait as long as humanly possible. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that that is the correct way to go about it. But with that said, while I always prefer to get a bargain when possible, if I've had a good enough opening to my draft where I feel Mm. like all of my starters at either running back or wide receiver, like if I have three running backs I really like or three or four wide receivers I really like, and I feel like those guys are giving me leverage at that position over the rest of my league or most of the rest of my league, I will consider paying market price for the QB5 or the QB6, if that's where the draft is at when I'm on the clock. We've talked about how I'd like that second tier this year. This is the first time in a long time where that combination of Prescott, Murray, Watson, and Wilson is just so appealing that if I'm in a spot in the draft where those guys seem right for me, I am willing to, to make that call. In general, though, I am with you. I'm probably waiting to be around the ninth or 10th drafter to get my QB1 because I still feel like I'm getting someone good slash usable at that point. And even if it doesn't work out, like you said, you can always revert back to the waiver wire, find a streamer until you pick up a QB that you like. These guys come up out of nowhere all the time to finish top 10 at the quarterback position from outside the top 15. It's clockwork every season, and we have to keep that in mind always. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's just it's just about getting as much value as you can but also, I mean, you make a good point that you shouldn't just go into any draft with any rigid strategy, right? I mean, drafts are drafts are very fluid, and you need to be able to, if you see value in somebody at a certain point, or like you said, you just feel so confident in the start you get that 
it, you're going to be a really tough team to beat if you also get an upper echelon quarterback, then you need to be able to zag. So I, I think having that kind of flexibility within the draft and kind of reading the flow of the draft is going to be important no matter what format you're in. Well, let's talk about the more important format, 2QB and Superflex. This is the future. We've already talked about that at the top of the show. And somehow, some way, in, in these leagues, I want three quarterbacks from my top 25 at the position, kind of no matter what. Yep. I look at my rankings and say, okay, I need to get three within this group of 25. I might wait until the QB 12 to the QB 15 range to start that process of picking quarterbacks. But the longer I wait, the more likely I am to double tap or even triple tap the QB position in consecutive rounds. Typically, though, I want to get one QB from the top 12 of my rankings. I mean, the dream, obviously, is for Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson to slide into round two. If you've never done a two QB or super flex league, I can tell you that ain't happening. But... (laughs) What you might get is Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray or Dak Prescott or Deshaun Watson sliding a little bit further than you might expect where, to where they become a value in your eyes. And honestly, I don't know how to define what finding a value means sometimes in these contexts because it varies so much to, from draft to draft. Like you said, these things are fluid. They're unpredictable. When someone says finding a value, especially a quarterback, what, what does that mean to you, Sammy? How do you qualify that? I mean, I think that quarterbacks because their scoring ends up being so condensed, their ADP and the way that people value them can be highly variant. And I think it's really important to have a good idea of who you think is, is better and, you know, creating your own quarterback ranking list, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think when you go and do this yourself, you're going to end up finding that you have a lot of differences from general ADP. Also, a lot of ADP is based off of one quarterback leagues, uh, depending on what you're looking at. So that's going to, really change from like super flex leagues even if they're going higher in super flex leagues that order tends to stay the same and that's not generally how it should be so i really think that having your own list and understanding who you like and finding the values the way they differentiate from adp uh, is really important so who is the like the worst quote-unquote quarterback that you would be happy with starting in a one quarterback league uh in a one quarterback league i think it's probably like yeah, I think it's Ben or Cam is 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 like the worst guy I would want. And again, you know, I a lot of times I won't draft a guy just saying he's going to be my every week quarterback. But you know, in one quarterback leagues, I I think getting getting ugly at that point I think is just fine. Yeah, there are just so many guys I would consider, and, and it kind of for me a lot of the time just comes down to opening schedule. Like if it looks decent enough for a guy, and I, I haven't checked this for these three names I'm about to throw out, but I would go as low as you know Jared Goff, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins. That ADP range of yeah, like Goff, Goff was another guy I was thinking of right there. Yeah, like ADP range of like QB 15 to QB 20. If that's the guy that I end up with a one quarterback league, I, that's fine. But I will say for a traditional 12 team league. I would hope to get Cam Newton. He's my QB 11 um, or somebody ranked higher. And I think in a 12-team league, it's very easy to do that. And so you don't have to stress it just as long as you wait, wait, wait until you can still land somebody from your top 10 or your top 12, you'll probably be fine. Um, How about in a two-quarterback league, talking about your QB 1, Sammy, who's the, the lowest rung on that ladder that you'd be willing to step on? So I think you make a really, really excellent point about three quarterbacks. So kind of going backwards. Um, yeah. Again, I, I would love to get Lamar Jackson or, or Patrick Mahomes. It just doesn't often happen for me. And so generally I'm getting like my first quarterback somewhere between rounds three and five. 
And and obviously every draft's going to be different, particularly where you kind of end up. But I think that you know Matt Ryan is a guy that that's I kind of draw a line between Matt Ryan and lower um, mm-hmm. in a lot of spots. I'm still fine with Cam Newton, but in a two quarterback league, I'd be way happier if Newton's like my number two than my number one. So I, I think Matt Ryan's an answer there that. I don't know how confident I am in it, but I think that's kind of what I'll say. Uh, but I will also echo that I think getting three usable quarterbacks in a super flex league is super important. So even if I'm not the first guy to draft a quarterback, I'm very often one of the first guys to draft a third quarterback because having depth is just so important and it can help overcome the fact that you don't have a top three QB. Uh, injuries happen, bye weeks happen, bad matchups happen. And I think what a lot of teams do is spend like high capital on a quarterback and then high capital on another. And then they're trying to play catch up so hard with their other positions that they don't really back themselves up. And even though they have top end starters, the position's kind of thin and they end up getting boned in a lot of weeks. Yeah, I I just think you and I kind of approach the position very similarly. Yeah, I agree with that entire explanation. That was spot on. And I think like for me, if I'm using that kind of working backwards from my QB3 approach, if I'm just trying to get three within the top 25, the the lowest I'd be willing to go on my QB21 is probably like Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield. Those guys I have ranked as my QB14 and QB15 respectively. Because what that does is it gives me time to load up on wide receivers, load up on running backs, and maybe a tight end in the early rounds. And then once I feel like I have that base established, I go get you know the guy who's at the top of my board, whether it's Garoppolo, Mayfield, Cam Newton, whoever else. And I look to just hammer the quarterback position at that going forward. So then when it comes to my QB2, my threshold is a lot higher. Like I want my QB2 to be relatively good compared to my QB one, right? Like, so if I take Garoppolo or Mayfield as my QB one at QB 14 or QB 15, my QB two is probably going to be someone like Roethlisberger or Tannehill or Goff or Cousins or Stafford, you know, pick whichever one of those guys you think is the worst because they're kind of all the same to me. And that's about as low as I would want to go with my QB two. With that said, Stafford is a guy I probably just won't end up with very much this year based upon where he's going that you know, small sample efficiency that he showed last season is really driving up his price. And I don't know. I just don't think I'm going to end up with Stafford. But that type of player, if he were, you know, quote unquote, appropriately, appropriately valued to me in my mind, then he's the type of player I would look for as my QB2 in a two-quarterback format. For sure. And you and you mentioned Mayfield. Um, I'm fairly intrigued by Mayfield. Um, Same. You know, again, something, something Warren Sharp was talking about is how they really – uh, address the tackle position and how poorly Mayfield did under pressure and the fact that they've, you know, really shored up the offensive tackle positions. Uh, they, they rate to use a lot more too tight end, which he was very efficient in last year. You know, he's got good weapons. I mean, they have good weapons all over the place with, with Hooper and Njoku and Landry when he comes back and Beckham good running backs. I mean, that's a really, really, really talented offense, but like you said, it may not be a team that tries to air it out too much. So what's kind of your overall thoughts about Mayfield? I'm very intrigued by him as well. I made the case on a previous episode of this show that he could just be this year's Tannehill, where Mm -hmm. based upon the improvements they made up front, based upon the running game that they're likely to throw out there, Mayfield could just be that guy who spikes a good touchdown rate and finishes top 10. You know what I mean? Like just as hyper-efficient on limited volume because the rest of the team is so good. And that sort of possibility has me intrigued. It's just not one that's really easy to bank on, right? Because if he doesn't have the volume and he and he's not as efficient as I want him to be, then he's an, he's a bust for the second year in a row, right? 
<laughs> right, right. I tend to believe in Mayfield. I've always kind of believed in him. Every everything about him, the Pied Piper stories and the beer chugging and all that, it has nothing to do with metrics. But obviously, <laughs> he had really, really good metrics uh, in college, and so I tend to believe in that as well. But I, I just believe in the kid. I want him to do well, and I'm gonna end up with shares this year. Well, that pedigree you bring up is the reason why I'm still a little bullish on him, right? It's the same reason I think Kyler Murray can make a year two leap. Like Mayfield did it in college. He was promising as a rookie. He had a bad second year. Uh, Again, more evidence to the fact that we should be a little wary of always projecting a second year breakout. What if it just comes in year three instead of year two? You know what I mean? Like I, I think that that's definitely within the range of outcomes. The price has dipped on him a little bit. I honestly thought I would end up with him more, but I think... A lot of other people are trying to buy that dip in value with Mayfield, again, based upon the name brand value, based upon the pedigree. And so I, we have a question later where I'm going to ask you, who, what's a quarterback you wish you could end up with more? Mayfield's one of those answers because I, I see the yep. upside, but it typically works out to where someone else is willing to pay a little bit more for the chance of that upside. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And he's he was actually uh, one of my answers for that. So I'll, I'll try to think of another one, too. <laughs> That's fine. Um, real quick, how often are you trying to stack your quarterbacks with their receivers in a season format where you have to you know pick who you're starting every week? Like, I, I understand the appeal in DFS. I understand the appeal in best ball where you're going for those high variance yeah. outcomes. But in a seasonal league, is it important to you? In regular seasonal leagues? Not necessarily. Um, you know, I, I think it's generally fine. But... I think that at the end of the day, just theoretically, it has a lot more promise in like big field stuff, right? Yeah. So things like the Raz Bowl, things like the Scott Fish Bowl, the NFFC, because specifically when you get into the playoffs, you're trying to beat a group of teams, not just one opponent. So really that has a lot of like, it's a lot like DFS in the way that putting up smash scores is way more important embracing variance, going for upside rather than a good solid score is more important. It's just like cash games versus GPPs in DFS. And so I think I try to make it a point in those larger field contests that have overall components in like your regular seasonal league with your buddies. I don't go out of my way to do it. I think it's fine to do, uh, but I don't know that it really, I, I wouldn't do something I didn't think was the best move just to get a stack, if that makes sense. No, totally. That's exactly how I feel about it. Like, I tend to prefer trusting my rankings rather than chasing yep. correlation. Because if you chase correlation, you might hit. But it also might end up being bad correlation, right? Like, what if the receiver you pick isn't the right one? And, and if you stack with too many <laughs> receivers, what if that team just has a bad week? Then you're really screwed right. for that time. So. I am admittedly trying to be better about it in best ball. It's, it's been a tough break for me mentally to get away from that idea of just trusting my rankings and going after that high variance upside, chasing the correlation in a best ball, especially with the ones that have those overall uh, sorts of prizes like the Raz Bowl. But um, I, I think in general, sure. I, I agree with you that it's not something that I'm looking to do. Now, what do you think about sniping a quarterback from someone else's stacks? Like I was in a best ball recently where another team was setting up for a Tampa Bay stack with Chris Godwin, Keyshawn Vaughn. This is before he landed on the COVID list and Rob Gronkowski. And I ended up taking Brady. This is one of those instances where the scoring settings made me, you know, find some appeal in Brady. And I, I actually thought that the pick made even a little bit more sense because taking that stack away from my opponent, I felt like was a good thing. Am I overthinking that? Uh, yes and no. So I think like theoretically, 
uh, I'm not really into it unless you think it's the best play for your team also, right? Like, Right, and I did. That was part of That was the main reason. Yes, so if you also think it's a good thing for your team, and oh, by the way, I get to screw a, a friend or a competitor, all the better. Screw you, pal. But, like, if you don't, and you're just going out of your way to, like, screw somebody else but not make the best play for yourself, you're theoretically costing both them and you equity, which in turn filters to the other 10 teams in the league. Personally, I'm not in the business of helping 10 other teams in the league that aren't me. So I'm not really trying to do anything that isn't the best play for my squad specifically. However, like you said, if you think it's your best play and it hurts somebody else, that's the, that's the real sweet spot. That's what you're trying to go for in fantasy. Not just it's good for me, but also it's bad for you, buddy. Eat dirt. Yeah, it's possible that maybe I should have been more aggressively looking for a different quarterback to stack with some other wide receivers on my team, but I'll have to go back and kind of revisit that later. We don't have time for that right now. Uh, Sammy, which quarterbacks do you find yourself drafting most often this season? We've talked about Cam Newton. Is, is that the guy for you? Yeah, it's Cam Newton and Ben Roethlisberger. And also, I mean, this is this is kind of gross. A lot of Jared Goff. You know, it, it's 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 very weird. I've talked about why I like Cam and Ben already. Um, Jared Goff's just kind of that guy where I don't really love him that much as a player. I know that the Rams offense, the the skill players have kind of gone down in talent. Uh, they got rid of Cooks and Gurley, obviously. But at the end of the day, I believe in that scheme. And he's actually been a really solid fantasy quarterback. And he's also one of those guys kind of like Rivers, where I think the public perception of him uh, drives him down a little bit because he's just this like dumbass dude who like looks like a goof and doesn't come up clutch in big moments. And it's like, I don't want that guy on my team. Uh, but at the end of the day, his stats in his in his NFL career ever since his first year have been really, really solid. And last year uh, he was a pretty good quarterback with some bad touchdown luck. And uh, I'm I'm looking to get on the right side of that. I think that call makes a ton of sense. And the only reason that he wouldn't be listed here for me is because I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is in a very similar situation and he ends up being the guy I pick because they're often on the board at the same time. And I just like Garoppolo a little bit right. more. Is it the hidden upside with Garoppolo? Is it Niners homerism? You be the judge. Maybe it's just that he's way more handsome. And generally, handsome guys get it done. You know, I get it. That's right. Uh, so which quarterback do you think you sh- could be drafting more often? We we touched on Baker Mayfield as an answer for both of us here. Is there anybody else you can think of? Yeah, uh, it, it's actually Drew Brees. And Drew Brees is in this like spot. He just ends up being in this spot in the draft where I just tend not to take quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, I love that Drew Brees plays a lot of his games in a dome. I love that he has Michael Thomas, and I love that he had Emmanuel Sanders. I love this offense. It's they put up points year after year. They have certain games, you know, that that just are prime for like big points, specifically division games, specifically in domes where it's just like, dude, he's going to smash. And, you know, obviously, like he's not putting up 5000 yard seasons on the regular like he once did. Uh, But I, I like Drew Brees and I think he's a pretty good, a really high end quarterback option in a lot of weeks throughout the season. He's just in a spot where I, I just I don't think I have a single share of him so far this year. And I, I feel like there are going to be times this year where I regret that. 
I feel like you can take that entire spiel you just gave about Drew Brees, change some of the names, and throw Matt Ryan in there, and I have the same argument, right? He's my QB7. Very fair, yeah. I think he's going to ball out all those games in domes. That division looks like it's going to have a ton of shootouts, but he just falls in that range where it's tough to justify drafting a quarterback. I feel like Carson Wentz is kind of in the same boat. Not quite the same like weapon appeal there with Wentz as Ryan and Brees, but that tier of guys like Ryan, Brees, Wentz, the ones who I think you have to rank in that QB7 to QB10 range, you know, depending upon how you feel about Josh Allen. But you can't draft those guys. It's so weird. No, I, I completely agree. And I think this is just such an overall really interesting year for quarterbacks uh, because there are several guys, like we talked about, that are pretty tough to evaluate that really have just just high variance points that could be that could be big or not at all. And then there's a lot of guys for value uh, that we talked about, the Mayfields, the Roethlisbergers, the Newtons to an extent. Obviously, his ADP is is, is rising. But those kind of guys who, I mean, I'm going to have a lot of stock in and then he's going to make or break my season in a lot of spots. And, and certainly they're not sure things by any stretch. I think for me, what this means, especially with you know the coronavirus pandemic getting generating so much uncertainty, I think this is the year to build depth at all positions, but that includes QB, whereas in previous seasons, like I just wouldn't care about that at all. That means drafting three quarterbacks in every best ball. It means trying to draft four starters in two quarterback and super flex formats. And I think it might even mean being more willing to roster two quarterbacks out of the gate in a start one league. And that last point is one where I'm still a little more iffy, right? Because generally the waiver wire is going to be your friend in a one quarterback format. But if your draft lines up in a way where you're getting two quarterbacks that you do like, especially if their schedules seem to line up for consistently good matchup in those early weeks when you can you know, stream them back and forth, then I can, I can really get behind drafting two quarterbacks in a one-quarterback league this season. And that's a lot different for me this year relative to past years. Is there any other kind of big-picture quarterback strategy for you that you want to impart to the listeners before we sign off here, Sammy? Yeah, I, I would just kind of echo what you said that in specifically in Superflex, get depth, get depth. Like depth to me is more important than the high end kind of guys. And uh, I'll just say it again. I'm generally one of the first people to draft a third quarterback, but I'm not one of the first to, to draft my first. And obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but I think the point you made about COVID, you know, makes makes having that depth even more important than it already was. For sure. Man, this has been a pleasure as always. I love having you on the podcast, Sammy. Um, Thanks for coming on. Why don't you let the folks know uh, where they can find you, where they can find your work. For sure. Uh, I I hope we make this an annual tradition. We get to take all of our our secrets and then draft against each other in barf. And we always end up there at the end. And and it's it's just so much fun. You you all can find me on Twitter at SammyReadFI. I am uh, doing work for Roto Grinders during the NFL season, uh, specifically to DFS. And then myself, and Davis Matic and Nate Noling do a little show called The Gilcast where we all make fun of each other for our bad DFS lineups uh, on Monday and, uh, you know, tilt it off when we've lost all our money. So that's always a good time. It's become pretty, pretty popular because I think people can really uh, relate making decisions that you wish uh, you hadn't made. So uh, check that out. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. For sure. And the, the beauty of that show is that you can all be such great heels in different contexts. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just we've known we've all known each other for for many years, and we can just like roast each other and you know admit to our mistakes. At least Davis and I can. Nate never takes an L. <laughs> but uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think it's important to. <laughs> I think it's I think it's really important to get things off your chest and be able to not take yourself too seriously, even even if you have a decent amount of money on the line. Uh, but but also learn from mistakes. I think none of us are perfect, and it, you know it's easy to say, oh, I got right here. But the people who do the best long term in all sorts of ventures in life are the ones who know they're fallible, who know they'll make mistakes, and admit that and uh, and and work to improve them. You know, every time out. Yeah, it's almost like you have a poker background or something, Sammy. Yeah, who, who would have thought? Well, hey, man, this has been fun. Thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Of course. It was a lot of fun, Greg. Thank you for having me. All right, listeners. Thank you for listening. Uh, please head over to 444.com, get subscribed, get entered into that chance to win an entry into the FFPC main event. Some of those other prices there as well. Check out manscaped.com. Use the promo code TMAP to get 20% off with free shipping. We'll be back again next week for a running back preview with another special guest. So until then, thank you for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. Adios. It's just another Saturday.